just thank you for being here today. Uh, again, welcome you if you're here on, on watching online today. Uh, one thing I want to continue to ask you to be praying about, I know we had a group of people that were gone to serve at Whetstone Boys Ranch this weekend and will be traveling back today, so please keep them in your prayers. Uh, also, I, I want to remind you that today we uh, there are several classes that are going to start new for the month of August and one class uh, down in the fellowship hall that will continue for a couple of weeks, but we invite you to stick around after worship and stay for one of our classes. Uh, also want to just make one, one more plug for next Sunday uh, is Back to School Sunday, our annual day where we gather to pray uh, to surround uh, all of our students and teachers and uh, school employees to pray over the upcoming school year. And, uh, and I want to I remind you what I, I issued a challenge last week, and the, the challenge is still uh, true for today. I want to encourage you to think about people in your life, uh, in your neighborhood, relationships in your family, whoever it may be, uh, to invite to be with us next week. Sometimes, you, you know, you, we need a kind of an extra special reason to invite somebody to come with us to church, uh, even though we know they're not going to church necessarily. Uh, you know, sometimes it can be kind of awkward to know how to extend that invitation. And so days like Back to School Sunday are really easy days to make an invitation to someone, for them to come, maybe for the first time to church, maybe the only time they come. But if that's the only time, that'll be great too, and I know they'll be encouraged by that. I know you will be encouraged by that. We have some special things planned that we're excited about uh, and want, want to be, you to be a part of that. So it's going to be a good day. We'll start like we always do with donuts and coffee uh, at 9, so come early for that and stay for worship uh, afterwards and uh, be encouraged as we gather to pray for the upcoming year. It's going to be a good day. Today uh, is our final day in our summer sermon series that we've been wor working through. We've called Half Truths, uh, where we've been looking at statements all summer long, taking a closer look at some statements that, that each of us have heard before, maybe some of us have used before. Uh, you see them floating around on social media a lot. Uh, these are statements that people make, and when they make them, they make them with confidence, thinking that they're in the Bible, but we have learned over the course of the summer that they are not in the Bible, and st things like God will never give you more than you can handle, or God has a plan for your life, uh, which is, that phrase is sort of in the Bible, but we kind of dug a little deeper into what it actually means and maybe how it's often interpreted and saw some of the, the differences with that. And so we've done that all summer long, and today we're not only going to look at one final statement, I think we are going to look at what may be the most commonly used statement of all the statements that we've looked at this summer. And that, for that reason, I think it's really, really important to look at. And the phrase we're going to look at is this, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. We hear this phrase probably most often when someone is going through some sort of struggle, some sort of difficulty, right? Maybe they're experiencing some kind of suffering, personally, physically suffering. They're, they're sick or they've, uh, they've been di diagnosed with some particular illness or they've experienced loss of some kind. They lost someone to death uh, or they have a family member that has just been diagnosed with something really serious. Uh, we also hear it sometimes when people experience unexpected things like this was my plan and then this is what ended up happening and that wasn't a part of my plan. And so someone will step in and they'll say things like, everything happens for a reason. And it's really used as a way to sort of attempt, it's an attempt, I think, in a, in a, in a sincere attempt most of the time, an attempt to try to explain the thing that happened, right? It's an attempt to try to make sense of the thing that happened. 
And, make, and so some well-meaning person, some well-meaning person will say to you, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. And you're left to sort of wrestle with not only the thing now that you're dealing with, but also with what that phrase means and what is the reason. If everything happens for a reason, then what is the reason? And how do I know what the reason is? You may never know it, but you should just accept this statement sort of implies that what happened happened and that there was a reason for it, even if you're never going to understand it. And, and so, again, it's a well-meaning attempt, but I, I want to I talk about it this morning because I think that the dangerous assumption that, is with, that comes with this statement is that God was the reason that it happened. And all sorts of people over the years have been hurt in different ways because things were you know, assigned to God that God didn't actually do. And you see this everywhere. If you know the NFL very well, you know that there was a player that retired a few years ago named Jordy Nelson. Uh, he was a receiver that spent most of his career with the Green Bay Packers. And back in 2015, Jordy Nelson had a preseason football game where he, that he was playing in where he, he tore his ACL. And he falls in the middle of this meaningless football game before the season even starts. The news comes back that he's torn his ACL and he would end up missing the entire 2015 season. But after the injury, another player, a guy named Glover Quinn, was asked about Jordy's injury. And this is what he said. This was his view about what was happening. I'm going to actually quote what he said. He said, I hate that Jordy got hurt. It's my belief that it was God that meant for Jordy to get hurt. So if he wouldn't have gotten hurt today, if he wouldn't have played in that game, if he wouldn't have practiced anymore, then the next time that he would have stepped on a field would have been opening day, the first game of the season. I feel like he would have gotten hurt on opening day. So in that sense, now, because he got hurt in the preseason, now the Green Bay Packers have three weeks to make adjustments and prepare before opening day, as opposed to it happening on opening day, and now you're in the season and now Jordy gets hurt. It happening in preseason, he says, you hate that it happened, but that at least gives them time to make adjustments and to try to find somebody to replace him. Now, in, in his defense, he would come back later after some pushback from people and try to clarify his comments about what he actually meant. But what was he actually saying in the initial comments that he made? He was saying, if you heard what I, what I read, he was saying that God planned to take Jordy Nelson out for the season. That's what God's plan was for Jordy, right? One way or the other. If it didn't happen in this preseason game and he didn't practice at all between that game and the first game, he would have gotten hurt on the first game of the year. The next time he stepped on the field because that was in God's plan for him. That was going to be the thing that happened. And if it wasn't now, it was going to be eventually. So because God is gracious, because God is so kind, God did it in a preseason game so that the Packers would have time to come up with their plan B, right? That's what he was saying. And, of course, upon hearing that, what's, what is the problem with this view of this? The, the, what is the problem with this way of viewing God? <laughs> J- James beat me to the punchline. The first problem is we know that God doesn't even like the Packers. But I also believe... I also believe that, that God is not up in heaven, right, deciding which football players go out and which ones 
don't. Which ones get injuries and which ones don't. Or consider this story. Back in 2007, on August the 1st, 2007, on that day, there, a highway bridge in Minneapolis collapsed during rush hour, killing 13 people and wounding 144 other people. That night, a well-known local pastor blogged about why God didn't hold up that bridge, even though he could have done so with his pinky. His explanation was God did it because God wanted, quote, all the people of Minneapolis to fear him. And I share these two examples because I think all too often the false assumption behind the statement, everything happens for a reason, is that God is the one that's doing it. And God gets a lot of things assigned to him that God didn't actually do. That God is watching everything that's going on, which God is, and deciding which football players tear their ACL, or even more seriously than that, right, that God is handing out all kinds of suffering to people. This person gets cancer. This person gets infertility. This person gets depression. This person's family struggles. That bridge is collapsing today. I want to suggest to you this morning that that isn't how it works. I believe that things happen but that the reason is not always God. Things happen, but the reason is not always God. And so I want to walk through what I think some of the reasons are. Because at some level, we all want our suffering to have a purpose, right? You don't want to go through something and then look back on it and go, well, I don't really know why that thing happened in my life. It didn't seem to have a point. We want it to have a point. We want it to have a purpose. We want to understand it. We want God to explain to us why something happened. Why didn't that prayer get answered? Why did they do that to me? Why did things turn out this way instead of this way? And when something happens that we don't understand, but we want to try to understand it, right, this is how we get in this cycle. And I, I understand why we do that. But we have to be careful when we're processing life and any struggle that may come to us, like it's all some sort of grand design divine plan that God has for your life to inflict pain and suffering and struggle into your life. Because sometimes, even though this may be hard to hear this morning, sometimes you are the reason that it happens. Sometimes you're the reason that it happens. A couple of years ago, I had gone to Tyler to see someone from church that was in the hospital there. And I was sitting at a light coming back to Kaufman, and I was looking down at my phone, right? And you've been in this moment where you pick up your phone because the light's a long light, and you're like, well, I'll kill, it, you know, kill a couple minutes and answer a text message or check an email. And so I pick my phone up, and I'm looking down at my phone, and there's this big flatbed truck that was empty. It had maybe taken its load somewhere and dropped off the, the thing, that the, the vehicle or the whatever it was carrying, and, and it was coming back, and it and I'm, so I'm sitting there behind this truck, and out of my peripheral vision, I thought I saw the truck move. And so I take my foot off the brake, and I hit the truck, right? It destroyed the front end of my truck and did nothing to the vehicle in front of me, which is always the way it happens, it seems like. But God was not the reason that my truck got rear-ended, you know, that I rear-ended that guy that day and my truck got damaged. 
I was the reason that that happened. I made a decision that led to that accident. If a student never studies, doesn't pay attention in class, and never turns in homework, and fails the class as a result of their behavior, God is not the reason that they failed the class. We would never say that that is the case. If you show up late to work, you don't get the job done, or you're lazy when you are at work, and you lose your job, it isn't God that made you lose your job. God has given us free will to make decisions, to make choices, but the thing that we have to know is that those choices have consequences. God empowers humans to have a say in the events of the world. God isn't controlling whether people choose whether people choose him, what God wants is for his love to win us over, to win humanity over. But God trusts that his character is going to win people over. God doesn't have to micromanage and micro-control every single human being in order to get them to love him. God trusts that his character will do that. And I think that the God that we find in Scripture is sovereign without being controlling, and I think those things can be the same. right? You can be sovereign and not be controlling. We have choices, and sometimes our choices play into the direction that life takes us. Paul says it this way in Galatians 6, we, we reap what we sow. This is a, known as the principle of causality, right? Causes have an effect. So sometimes we are the reason that things happen, but sometimes other people are the reason that it happens. Someone didn't keep their promise, a promise that they made, and they said that they would keep. And something bad happened as a result. A marriage vow was broken. Someone else made a bad decision. Someone else was dishonest. Someone else lacked wisdom and judgment and their poor choices impacted other people. And maybe you or someone you love or know was the recipient of their bad decision, of their bad choice. This doesn't mean that God did this. It doesn't even mean that that the reason that it happened, right? We're going we're to talk some more about that in just a second. But to, to start assigning to start assigning blame to who did it and why it happened is not the first place to jump. It means that other people, all it means is that other people have influence over our lives for good and for bad. And this is the way that it works. We, 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 we are influenced by the people that we are around. And those their decisions make, this, make impact on our lives for good and for bad. Practically, I actually think this is one of the reasons that the command to love our neighbor as ourself is so important for those of us that follow Jesus Christ. Because if we believe that people can have an influence for good and for bad, we want to be on the side of influencing people for good, influencing lives for good and not for bad. So sometimes we are the reason, sometimes other people are the reason, but there is another reason that things happen that is not us or other people. Sometimes things happen in our lives and in the world because we have an enemy that is at work in our world. And we sang about that foe in just a minute ago if you caught that line in one of the songs we sang. Jesus once said these words in the first part of John chapter 10, verse 10, to describe the enemy. He calls him a thief, and he says the thief comes only to do these things, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus believed, right? We don't, we don't, we don't talk a, a lot probably as much as we should. I may need to do a sermon series at some point about that, about the, the battle that is a spiritual battle that is going on in our world. 
But Jesus believed in a, in a real Satan and a real enemy. And he believed that the enemy is wreaking havoc on our world, that the enemy's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy your life in any way that, that it can happen. By stealing your joy, stealing your peace, by destroying lives, destroying them by influencing people to live in increasingly more and more and more selfish ways, living lives that are focused on the world and on themselves and their own agenda instead of on the things that God desires for them. And, and along the way, what happens is people make decisions that are not in line with what God wants, and that's a part of the, en- the enemy is a part of that. It's a part of working in the world to influence people one way or another. Paul also talks about the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against anybody that has flesh and blood flowing through their veins, but it's against our struggle is actually against an invisible enemy. What he calls the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What's he saying in this verse? What is he, what is he trying to communicate? He believes in an enemy that is alive and whose impact is felt in the physical world. It's not a question of whether or not there is a battle going on for our hearts. Spiritual warfare is happening. Sometimes we know it's happening and sometimes we do not know that it's happening, but it's always happening. And Paul is saying an enemy is at work. And our job is to know who the enemy is and who the enemy is not so that we're never confused about that. And once we're clear on that, we're we're to labor and to work and to give our lives away to try to push darkness back. We want light to get into all the dark places in our world, including our own hearts. And the other piece that is a part of the enemy's work, right, is that As a result of the enemy's work, what we feel is that things are off in our world. On on an individual level, there's death and there's accidents and there's diagnoses that happen, unexpected things that happen that sometimes feel random and don't make sense. And then, of course, there's just the global chaos that we are aware of that always seems to be happening. Something's happening in our country or something happening in another country. Was it Satan's doing? Maybe. But it's also the result of living in a fallen world. I want you to listen to how Paul talks about the effect of sin on our world in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. He says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul says that even creation, that thing you feel that just feels where things feel off, the reality of seeing people die, of seeing people be, be given a certain diagnosis with a health concern, seeing unfortunate events happen in people's lives that don't make sense. Paul says even creation feels those things that human beings feel. And he calls it a bondage to decay. Right? This is this that we don't like to admit this as we get older. It eventually gets inevitable where you can't fight it any longer. But this is why you feel your body getting older. This is what's, you know, that you're in bondage to decay. 
right? This is the process that's happening with you, your life, just like it's happening with creation. In the same way that you're getting older from the day you're born, in the same way you can't stop that process from happening no matter how hard we may try or how much we might exercise or eat right or do other things to resist that, it's happening to every human body. And Paul says that the very creation itself is experiencing the same exact thing. Which means that what you see in the world around you, this is, this is, I think, kind of wild to think about. Like what you see in the world around you, even though it's God's good creation and much of it is beautiful, there is much that is beautiful about the world. It is not the way that it should be. Because creation is not, because creation is frustrated, right? Creation is frustrated that, that it's not the way that it wants to be. That sin still has an effect on our planet. And I've shared this before, but part of what I think this means is, if you think about the application of that, is that if you look at a flower, if you look at a sunset, if you look at a, a mountain, a rainbow, you look at another person, and you see beauty in that, you aren't actually seeing the beauty entirely as God designed it. You're still seeing beauty, and you're still seeing creation, but you're also seeing creation in bondage to decay. which I think might impact us when we see something that's stunning, that's beautiful, and we look at that, if we can remember that what we're seeing is actually not as beautiful as God imagined it to be in the beginning. And it also means that any time you see something that's broken or that's off in the world, that's in need of repair or restoration, you can know that it is because of the bondage that the world is caught up in. Now this idea that everything happens for a reason, it actually comes from a place just a few verses after Paul talks about creation in Romans 8, 28, where Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I've tried to establish this morning the Bible is very clear that God, God has nothing to do with evil. First John talks about this. There is no darkness in God at all. God isn't causing your pain. God isn't causing the pain of other people. God isn't assigning suffering and struggle to come to some people and nothing to other people. And, and just for what it's worth, even if someone, if you, you're going to hear it. If you're listening for it, you're going to hear it. There are people who believe that this is the case. And on one level, it might actually be okay to think about it with your personal suffering. The problem is, if you, if you apply it to your own personal self, you have to also explain why God, why, why you know, thing, t terrible things happen in the world. Why were Jews persecuted and thrown into concentration camps, right? It, it's, it's maybe not, the, the application is a little lighter if it's like, why did I get this hangnail? Or why did I get this, the flu? Or why did I get... You know, whatever. But if if you if you apply it there, you have to also make sense of how you apply it on the larger things that happen in our world. And I don't think that you, we can do that, and and leave with a picture of God that is still love. And what Scripture says is that God is love. And so, if we've established that God has nothing to do with evil and He's not causing our pain, but then we come to our own lives and things happen in our lives, Paul is saying. 
that God can bring good. God didn't cause the thing to happen, but God can bring good out of whatever evil or struggle or setback or experience that you have. Paul is saying that God does not cause all things, but that God will work tirelessly to bring good out of all things. And this is good news. This is good news. You serve a God. You serve a God this morning that loves you so much that when things happen that hurt your heart, that they hurt God's heart as well. And Paul says in in those things, God will work to bring good. Somehow, some way, maybe not immediately, it might take a long time, but somehow, some way, God will work to bring good. And I want you to hear me on this point. Because I don't want you. I, I want to be clear about what I'm saying, so that you don't hear what I'm. You don't think you hear what I'm saying and inter- misinterpret it. This does not mean some terrible things have happened in some of your lives. Just because God is going to work to bring good out of all things, that is not the same thing as saying that the thing that happened will ever be good. You hear me? You hear the difference? God will work to bring good out of the thing that you experienced. That doesn't mean the thing that you experienced will ever be good because it's bad. And that's not going to change. What it means is that God loves you and wants to help bring light to darkness. Because what you experienced was an example of darkness. Of the, the, the way that the world is broken and in need of repair. And you experienced that, and I have experienced that because we live in the world. What God is interested in is bringing peace to chaos and light to darkness. What God is interested in is bringing healing to our wounds as a result of having to live in the fallen world that we live in. And sometimes I would say that our energy, your energy, is best used not trying to understand the reason. That's really the problem that I have with the, with the statement, everything happens for a reason. It assumes you should spend most of your energy figuring out the reason that the thing happened. But I would say the best, our, our best energy is spent not focusing on the reason that it happened, but focusing on the fact that God is with us in the midst of it and that God is working because Jesus is alive. Trusting that even when we can't see it, that God will never start working for your good. Sometimes in life, sometimes in life we are provided opportunities. We are fortunate enough to have opportunities to walk with people. Some of you are invited into spaces where you get to, you get to walk with people through really difficult things in your life. And at the heart of this series this summer is really this idea that as we stand with people in their suffering, as we sit with people in their grief, as we walk beside people on really hard days. Part of what this series has been about this summer is that I want us as a church to be equipped as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, to do things in those moments like Jesus would do them, to sit with people in their grief and to walk with people in their suffering and to stand with them on their hard days. Because as I said in the beginning of this series, back at the beginning of June, how we talk about God matters. As God's people, how we talk about God matters. And most of the time, I would say, when we're walking with people, sitting with people, standing with people, living life with people who are going through something difficult, most of the time, hear me, we do not need to say anything. 
or if we say anything, we just need to remind them that we love them and that we are there to walk with them. Be the presence of God in their midst. I I call this the ministry of presence. And I think it's a real thing. Sometimes you just show up. And you don't know what you're going to say. And if you don't know what you're going to say, it probably means you shouldn't say anything. Because a lot of damage has been done. Because people didn't know what to say, but they said something anyway. And then the words came out, and it was like, I don't know if that was helpful. We've all had this moment, right, where you, you walk up. I mean, I, I, I was at a funeral the other day and walked up, and I didn't take this on my own advice. The first thing out of my mouth was, how is everybody doing? Well, obviously, everybody's terrible. We're at a visitation, right? Just show up and sit quietly, and that's enough. That is enough. When Jesus showed up after his friend Lazarus' death, He didn't tell everybody to be strong. He wept. He mourned. He sat with people. He he wept with them and mourned with them. And and if if you just can't not talk, you know who you are, right? Don't feel like it's your responsibility to explain the why. The why for the thing that happened. If you can't not talk, try a phrase like this, my heart is hurting with yours. We're going to get through this together. Can I bring you a meal? Right? That, I think, is what Christianity looks like and sounds like in times of crisis and struggle and despair. Showing up, pointing to Christ through your presence. And if you're going, if you're going through something right now or you have gone through something, the sting is still fresh this morning. The wound is still, he- is still healing. And the reason is still unknown to you. My encouragement to you today is to hold on to hope. Know that God is still working and that the tomb is still empty. And it's because the tomb is empty that Jesus is alive. That's what we mean when we say the tomb is empty. It means that Jesus is alive. And that means that death did not defeat him. And because he lives, you and I can face tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, looking as we live for the ways that God is working for our good, that God will never stop tirelessly working for our good. Think about that. You have a God who is going to work for your good. God isn't absent or distant or somehow separate from us. He is with us and lives among us. That's going to happen through the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, in the work of the lives of other people. This is why we need the church. This is why we need community. This is why you can't follow Jesus by yourself because you need the body of Christ to experience God in the way that God imagined for you to experience it, working for your good. And so today, if you are in the midst of something, my encouragement to you is to hold on to the hope that you have because the tomb is empty. And for those of us that will be given opportunities in the weeks and days and years ahead to walk with people, may we remember Christ's model, walking with people, being present with them, and letting that be enough. Even if the reason that the thing happened isn't able to be understood, that we can be God's light into their darkness. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you this morning for being a God that loves us enough uh, to not be passive 
but to be actively pursuing us and working for our good, working in all things, things that we don't understand, that we can't explain, uh, that, that you're working for, for our good. Help us, Father, uh, to, to partner with you to work, to bring light into the dark places in our world, to be ministers who will just car- be carriers of your presence into places where your love is needed. And I pray that as we have opportunities to talk and live life with people who are going through hard things, that we will point through our actions and through our presence to you and point people to you who we believe to still be in control and at work and sovereign over all creation, even though creation is not how you imagined it to be, that you're working toward an end. And that along the way, we're going to experience a variety of things that cause struggle and pain and loss and suffering in our lives. I pray that you'll help us be a people that hold on to hope, that hold on to Christ in the midst of all of those things. We pray in his name. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing that song. Uh, a reminder about the fact that Jesus lives and that uh, this the beautiful truth that he, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. So let's sing out as we sing this song together. God.